Welcome to Political as Heck, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Astle, joined by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. What up, Todd? Good uh, evening, Corey. Howdy. Howdy. So, uh, Labor Day, I'm sure you have big plans. What do you got going on tomorrow? <laughs> well, we have a family barbecue. It'll be outside. And I got a new granddaughter a couple of days ago. So we'll be. Oh, home. wow. Yeah. Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. And she's wonderful. So congratulations and congratulations oh, to the, thank uh, you. the new parents. That's great. Yes. It's that's great. Yeah, very fun. Big news this week, Corey, in a 5-4 decision, the United States Supreme Court chose to not block a Texas law that bans abortions after six weeks. Um, a few weeks ago, you said you didn't think the court would nullify Roe versus Wade. Does this week's non-decision change your mind? Well, it certainly gives me a moment of pause. Now, this move by the Supreme Court, it's not the final word. Uh, the court basically decided on procedural grounds not to intervene at this very moment right away, but didn't actually uphold the Texas law. In fact, the conservative majority said there were serious questions about the constitutionality. So it will, I mean, it'll come back around. But even so, after so many heartbeat abortion laws have gotten struck down across the country, the court did decide not to act here, which is interesting. And I think it's because the Texas legislature pulled a really interesting move in that rather than giving government officials authority to enforce the ban, uh, something that's been struck down time and again, by the Supreme Court. Instead, this law creates a new enforcement mechanism that allows private citizens to bring a lawsuit, a civil lawsuit against abortion providers, and to collect at least, they get to collect uh, $10,000 in damages plus legal fees for every abortion challenged successfully. So what, what we're talking about is this, this law allows any normal, any, pe- any person, any citizen to sue a clinic or a doctor or anyone who, quote, aids and abets abortion, including that could be insurance companies, that could be the Uber driver who drops her her off. So the clock creates this citizen enforcement mechanism as soon as the baby has a heartbeat, which occurs at about six weeks of pregnancy. And with the Supreme Court declining to intervene, the Texas case now returns to lower courts where litigation will continue. But remember, the court is also slated to review the Mississippi law. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. This law would ban most abortions after the 15th week of pregnancy. So the Supreme Court is going to address this. And it it's possible that it pulls in this case as well, but all that's to say is, you know, abortion is definitely on the docket. This is not the last we've heard of the issue. I'm to answer your question. I'm still a little skeptical that the court will completely overturn Roe, but it certainly could happen. A handful of States, Arkansas, Florida, Indiana, to name a few have already considered copying the Texas law. Todd, my question for you is, do you think the Utah legislature will follow suit? Uh, I think they will. I think the Utah legislature will follow suit. And um, let me just say, I think people are putting way too much emphasis on this um, on this procedural decision, because what happened was the ACLU and the pro-abortion lobby, they asked the Utah, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court for emergency relief. They wanted the court to put this law on hold or revoke this law before it was even briefed for the Supreme Court. And, you know, with the new Amy Coney Barrett majority, they said, no, we're not, we're not going to, we're not going to put it on hold, but they haven't reached any decision on the merits. And I think people on both sides are putting way too much weight. It's a really extraordinary remedy to ask the court to pre-decide a case. Um, And, and the court said, no, we're not going to do that here. And it's really, in my mind, a hat tip to state rights. 
but ultimately we'll see where the court comes down. So, yeah. And, and I've said this before, but um, Roe versus Wade was, a, I think, a 1973 decision. Um, we're really going off of Casey versus Planned Parenthood, which was, I think, a right. decision. Um, and um, Roe versus Wade, I mean, it's now established precedent, but it was a really strange decision. Um, the word privacy, it was, it was a privacy-based decision. Um, the court, you know, reached beyond the text of the, of the constitution and, and they found that there was a penumbra of privacy rights, even though it never discusses privacy. It was a very odd legal decision, whether you're for or against abortion, it was a very odd, uh, decision, the way it was crafted. Um, and, um, you know, well, I'm, I'm, I'm pro-life and I've never pretended to be otherwise. So we'll see what happens here, but I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical, um, uh, but we'll see what happens here. Yeah, I mean, uh, Ruth Ruth Ginsburg shared some of the same thoughts as you did, which is like even if you even if you were happy with the the outcome of the precedent, it still is strange law that was created. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it's certainly. I think you're right that people shouldn't get excited either way just just yet. But it's certainly going to have implications for 2022 election. I mean, yeah, if you ask someone, that. show me which you know, show me the language in the Constitution that protects abortions. Nobody can do it. It's only the Roe versus Wade decision, right? And then and then Casey versus Planned Parenthood. Yeah. But. All right, Todd. Well, America has officially withdrawn from Afghanistan. Sadly, 13 American service member heroes gave their lives, including Staff Sergeant Taylor Hoover from Midvale, Utah. We've left behind some 100 to 200 Americans and tens of thousands of Afghan facilitators we promised to protect. How do you think history is going to look back on this episode? I, I think history is already judging the Biden administration uh, very, very poorly uh, for this artificial line in the sand. We have to have everyone out before August 31st. Originally, it was September 11th, and then became the end of August. And you mentioned uh, hundreds of Americans. You mentioned the Afghans, but... Um, uh, there's also um, the green card holders, many of whom are uh, Afghan. But you know, we, you know, there's established precedent that we don't do or this to green card holders as well. And so, um, you know, those American citizens we learned include, I don't know, was it two dozen children from San Francisco area school, all from the same school? I mean, just amazing, just amazing uh, what uh, what we've done so that. On the 20th anniversary of 9-11, Joe Biden can thump his chest and say, look, look how great I am. Uh, I, I got us out of the longest war. And, you know, technically this was you, you, uh, you, the United States' longest war. But as I think I've mentioned before, uh, prior to the 13 soldiers, uh, the Marines uh, being killed um, two weeks ago, um, we, we hadn't had a casualty in in Afghanistan in 18 months, and we've had very relatively few casualties for seven or eight years. Um, we were maintaining basically Afghanistan with a, a reduced force of about 3,000 soldiers, which is less than what we have in West Germany, or Germany, less than what we have in Korea, less than what we have in Japan. Anyway, I think we'll be debating this for some time to come. It's interesting that, you know, once, you know, it's interesting to how often the Biden administration has to now defend the, they become the PR arm of the Taliban and they have to defend the Taliban and tell us how great the Taliban are and how nuts. we can trust the Taliban. And we all know that that's, that's a bunch of malarkey. So yeah, it's not, it's I'll, I'll quote, I'll quote Joe Biden. That's a bunch of malarkey. <laughs> anyway. I mean, you make a lot of good points. And I think for me, for my part, at least it is worth reiterating. I, I personally agree. The time has come to move beyond this war in Afghanistan 
I'm not one who who favors forever wars in the Middle East, and I think there are a lot of pro- problem places around the world. And we need to be very selective where we invest our blood and treasure. And I think, you know, we have bigger strategic challenges right now. China wants more than anything to overtake the United States as the preeminent global power. Every day that passes, we become more economically subject to them while they are moving strategically to become more independent of us right before our eyes. Our allies in Japan and Korea and Taiwan and Vietnam are screaming for our help. Yeah. And they've seen what's happening, with the Chinese Communist Party, how they're crushing the resistance in Hong Kong. So I think, you know, we need to move on, but that does not absolve Biden from responsibility for this disastrous withdrawal. No. Or his attempts to deceive during these press conferences. I mean, it's like Tokyo Rose telling us that the sun's not shining at noonday. And we left behind American citizens because the Taliban said we couldn't stay beyond August 31st. Yeah. Yeah. Let's think about that, Todd. The Taliban is calling the shots. Yeah. We're asking them for permission. And it came out last week that the Taliban had offered to to withdraw from Kabul if the United States would provide security until they exited. And the United States said no. Wild. Yeah. And yeah. And and when, you know, we, we were allowing the Taliban to vet the Afghans that got actually to the to the gate of the airport. And so when you know, this ISIS, so-called ISIS-K suicide bomber, we don't know if the Taliban willingly let that person through or, or they were just negligent and incompetent. We may never know that. And, you know, Biden's numbers have uh, been, a, his approval ratings have been in a tailspin. He's now down to about the same approval ratings that Trump was at at this stage of Trump's presidency. Um, but the difference was, was Trump, Trump had a seal, a floor there was, you know, about about 40 percent, maybe 35 to 40 percent. You know, Trump himself, you know, well, people were saying Trump could, you know, execute somebody on Times Square and he'd still have, you know, his base. But I don't think Biden has a base. So he's in a tailspin right now. He's lost about 15 percent in the last month or, or two. And um, it could get I mean, Biden could set new records in, in modern presidents for because I, I don't think he has this floor that Trump had because you remember the progressive wing of his party didn't really want him. They wanted Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren. So he was, he was sold to them as, Hey, this guy's electable and he'll, he'll, he'll do our agenda. And I think that uh, Joe Manchin's uh, departure a couple of days ago from the $3.5 trillion, you know, spending bill shows that the Democrats know that the Biden doesn't have any legs. Uh, His popularity is plummeting. And, um, and, and nobody's going to stick their neck out for him anymore. So mm-hmm. a lot of pundits, a lot of conservative pundits have been saying his presidency is effectively over. I mean, if the Republicans take the House in 2022, he gets nothing done, right? And in the Senate, mm-hmm. uh, they can really, they can only work on reconciliation, you know, with the 50-50 Senate. Because uh, other than reconciliation, you really need 60 votes in the Senate with, with cloture and yeah. That's a great point about the floor. I hadn't quite thought of it that way. And I mean, remember George Bush, he got in the low twenties. Yeah. So uh, it's not a guarantee that you have a floor, but yeah, I'll just but say I mean, my only final thought is, have we ever had a war where we had to ask the permission and, and for the help of the enemy to protect our, our citizens in country so that they could get to the airport? Like, can you, can you drive them in a bus and protect them? I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Well, and a lot of people are saying that the, you know, that the, the, you know, that the Biden doctrine now is that we are no longer going to use war for nation building. And, and that may be true for the next three years. I'm not sure if that's true for the next 300 years, but that's yet to be yeah. seen. <laughs> 
Well, Corey, last week, the Social Security and Medicare trustees released their annual reports on the long-term financial state of both programs. Uh, they're both heading rapidly for insolvency. Uh, what do you think comes next? So each year, the trustees for these programs pu publish a report on the state of Social Security and Medicare. These are our two largest entitlement programs. Together, the programs make up almost a third of the U.S. budget, about $2 trillion. Compare that with defense spending, which is about 11% or $700 billion. I mean, we spend more on Medicare alone than we do on defense spending every year. And I know that comes as a shock for many Democrats. That, and we spend uh, about one and a half times as much on Social Security. So together, we spend almost two and, a, two and a half times as much on these programs as we do on defense spending. The latest Social Security projections show the, show the program will deplete its reserves by 2033. That's only 12 years from now. Remember, many seniors rely on Social Security as a principal or even, you know, maybe even the sole source of income in their late retirement years. In only 12 years, all beneficiaries will face a 22% across the board benefit cut. As more people retire, the cuts will run deeper and deeper. This is something we can totally expect. We'll need to borrow trillions more from China upon the, the you know, the trillions and trillions the Democrats are already spending and borrowing from China right now. And the fact is the story of Medicare, even worse. The report released last week projects that Medicare will run out of money in 2026. That's only five years from now. Medicare, let's remember, remind everyone, Medicare is a program that provides health coverage, health care for seniors 65 and up. So that's when you retire, you get government insurance, and that's Medicare. The trustees are telling us that the program won't have enough money to provide health care that the seniors need in only five more years. And, you know, meanwhile, Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden want to expand Medicare. That's that's this reconciliation bill has a huge expansion of Medicare, hundreds of trillion, billions of dollars, maybe a trillion dollars more. And we can't even keep our current promises to seniors. I mean, Bernie and Biden, AOC, they want to spend trillions more. It just puts all that Medicare and Social Security in jeopardy. To me, it's madness. Situation only getting worse. So to answer your question, what comes next? I think it's a reckoning because we can't keep our commitments to seniors. We can't pay our bills. Yeah. You know, the U.S. spends $725 billion a year on defense. At least we did in 2020. And that's about 4% of our GDP and um, gross domestic product. And by comparison, back in 1980, we were spending about 7% of our GDP. Um, we, we still spend more of our GDP than the UK or France or Italy or Canada or Germany or Japan. Um, Who freeload off of us. I mean, that's the truth. Yeah. They can spend less because we protect them. That's the truth. So last year, 11% of our federal budget was on defense. And like you said, the Medicaid and Social Security are a lot higher than that. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, we're, we are clearly on an unsustainable uh, path. And even with Joe Manchin's declaration that we're not going to spend the $3.5 and he published a great letter to the editor. I think it was New York Times. I can't remember. Um, a couple of days ago explaining you know, that we, you know, he doesn't want to vote for this bill now because we don't know when the next recession or the next you know, national crisis is going to be. And, but even, even if that doesn't get passed, we, we've spent so much money and some of it was under Trump and some of it was under, uh, quite frankly, go, going back to Bush and Clinton. Uh, well, Clinton had one year when he balanced the budget, but uh, I remember Ronald Reagan when I was a kid talking about how much a trillion dollars was. And now, now, now we're eating trillion dollar uh, budgets for our deficits for, for lunch every day. So it's right. embarrassing. I, I don't know. There's no, there's no adult in the room anymore. I mean, there's no way to ever pay for these things. And um, so, you know, hats off to Manchin. I, I wish we would have, we would have taken this seriously a decade ago. 
I agree with that. It, it worries me. To me, this is one of the biggest issues in American politics, and yeah. we just don't pay any attention to it at all. Yeah, the day of reckoning will come. I don't, I don't know when it will be, but it, it, it's going to happen. All right, Todd. So OH Predictive Insights, which I had never heard of, but just cranks out these polls now. Good grief. They're awesome. But they released a, yet another fascinating poll. We'll have to get them on the show sometime. But this one had some really interesting results about Senator Mitt Romney. Yeah, you know, on one hand, it looked to me like he he was more popular than Trump in Utah. But on the other hand, when you if you if you nuance the questions, then, um, you know, his popularity his approval is under 50% is around 45%. Uh, well, I don't know. There are so many different. Yeah. So Mitt Romney's support is soft and um, there's a lot of Republicans who almost 30% of Republicans in Utah or the voters in Utah are saying that they don't have any confidence in the election system. And they're not sure that Trump actually lost. I think it's about 22% that said that they didn't, they didn't believe that Trump actually lost, but yeah, it looks like if Romney chooses to run for re-election in 2024, he's got his work cut out for him. Now, you know, uh, just because people are saying this in the summer of 2021 doesn't mean they'll feel the same way in November of 2024. But the other thing is, is um, you know, he's he's only he's not even halfway into his six-year term, and I'm not convinced that Mitt Romney will run for a second term. His wife yeah. is a mess, right. and he's in his 70s, and um, so you know. I, I've never been sure. He's never once said that he's going to run for a second term. So we'll see. Yeah. You know, so all of this may be for naught. Yeah, I mean, that, the headliner from this, at least that they sent out, was the 37%. So the question was, who would you rather be your senator? 30, 37% said Romney. 45% said some Republican other than Romney. 18% yeah. said a Democrat. I mean, that, that, that doesn't look too good. And what really popped out to me, too, is the favorable unfavorable was 49% favorable, 44% unfavorable. And it was the same for men and women. That was interesting. That is but I mean, this is a state where we, how do you put it? We revere our authority figures. We do, you know, our elders. And usually it doesn't take much to have a high popularity rating in Utah. If you're a public official, you pretty much just, if you don't screw up, you do pretty fine. So that's what stands out to me. Well, I mean, but I just, I'm going to push back on that a little bit because our nation in my lifetime, well, <laughs> since the Vietnam War, I don't think our nation's been as divided as they have been the last couple of years. And we're divided over COVID. Um, nobody can, I mean, you're not going to get a uh, more than 40% of anybody to agree on anything with COVID, probably not more than 5%. <laughs> and, um, and we've been divided um, you know, on a lot of federal issues before COVID. Um, you know, a lot of people drain, blame Trump for the division, but certainly the division was there. And I think it, in, in many respects, it was created and stoked by uh, Obama. I'm not saying we were completely divided uh, under Bush, but that was mostly on the war in Iraq um, and the response to 9-11. But now we're divided on seemingly everything. I mean, we're so divided. AOC and the squad came out and attacked Biden this week. I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> So, I mean, we're even divided, uh, you know, amongst ourselves in our parties and, and, and Romney's feeling that because certainly the far right and the libertarian leaning Republicans um, do not like Mitt Romney, whereas a lot of the moderate Republicans and even some conservative Democrats do like Romney. So, um, yeah, I, you know, these polls are fascinating, but they're, they're really just uh, 
ink on paper at this point because he's not up for re-election and he won't be for any time soon. And he may That's never. True, but it makes good. It makes good fodder to talk about. So yeah. OH, OH predictive insights, please keep them coming. We love it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. I think that's all the time we have for today. Well, thanks, Corey. Thanks for uh, uh, keeping us up to date and for your great insights on, on especially the, the congressional federal uh, issues. And we'll be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Thanks for joining us. Likewise. Thanks so much. See you. Bye-bye.